A Lounge on the Lawn from Cucumber Chronicles by J. Ashby Sterry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lounge on the Lawn When taplow woods are russet red, when half the poplar leaves are shed, when silence reigns at maidenhead, and autumn dwindles, Tis good to lounge upon that lawn, though beauties of last June are gone, from Skindles. Here I am, lounging upon that lawn, and though I well know the beauty of Taplow in autumn, with all respect to the rhymer, I am inclined to think I prefer it better in June, perhaps still better in July. Never was the place looking better than at the present moment. The late rains have been rather a nuisance, and have spoiled the beauty of blossom in a degree, but they have given a wonderful freshness to the foliage, and they have been capital for the strawberries. I had some excellent strawberries last night, and I hear they are likely to be very plentiful. Do you remember John Leach's wonderful sketch called, I think, Perfect Enjoyment? It represented a fat, gormandizing boy, with six enormous pottles of strawberries, sitting in the corner of a secluded wood all by himself, and pegging away, and enjoying himself prodigiously. What made me think of this now? Well, I'll tell you. Because at the present moment I can see a very pretty little girl, in a pretty white frock, in a canoe in the shade, with a very large punnet of very large strawberries in her lap, and I can see she is getting through them in a most steady and business-like fashion. It is evidently no chance affair. It is a pre-arranged scheme for she has a paper of powdered sugar in which she dips the berries and pops them in her mouth with a rhythmic regularity till they are all gone. She then sucks her little pink-stained fingers, dabbles them in the river, and dries them on her pocket handkerchief. I see she has stained her pretty white frock in many places, and she views these stains with alarm. The pocket handkerchief is once more applied, but it seems to make it worse. Now I happen to know this little lass has a couple of sisters, and I think it is very probable the large basket of strawberries was given to her for the purpose of sharing with them. Now the stained frock will be strong evidence against her. The poor strawberryless sisters will rob her of any sympathy, and her mamma, who accounts selfishness a crime, will be very angry with her, and will probably punish her severely. I see the little lady look round furtively as she paddles slowly by the lawn. She sees me. She starts. She pouts. She shakes her shoulders. And then she shows her dimples and gives a pleading look with those large grey eyes, as much as to say, You won't tell now, will you? I smile as she passes by. Of course, I should never betray the confidence of even the smallest of womankind, and her secret is quite safe with me. But, I fear... Her mamma will find it out, and the little lass will get into trouble before the day is over. I am sorry for her. She seems too pretty to be punished. But is prettiness any argument against punishment when she does wrong? No, certainly not. At least it should not be. But as a matter of fact it usually is. You generally find the flower of the flock may do as it pleases and have what it likes, while the remainder who do not happen to be so well favoured, have to put up with anything. I light a fresh pipe. I take a few turns up and down the lawn. 
I sit down again and I moralise and philosophise to myself. I see the strawberry girls, she is much prettier than Sir Joshua's famous picture, two sisters come over the bridge. They have been for a walk into Maidenhead, and they are probably longing for strawberries. That exceedingly naughty strawberry girl has, I see, drifted through the arch and is slowly paddling in the direction of Bray. A fair-haired damsel in a pink frock has just stepped out on the lawn from one of the French windows. She takes her seat under a tree at the further end of the lawn. She carries a large sunshade, so that I can only see the tip of a rounded chin, but I note she is greatly interested in Broken to Harness. Now I particularly want to read it once more, and I feel quite angry to see her enjoying it so much. I wish the pink-frocked damsel would go away and forget to take Edmund Yates's excellent novel with her. But of course she won't, so I sit idly here and listen to the ceaseless rustle of the leaves, and the rhythm of the rollock and the music of the oar, of some boat going at an easy swing down to Bray, or toiling against the stiffish bit of stream up to Bolter's Lock. I feel that I ought to be going somewhere or doing something, but I am honestly of the opinion that I am much better off by staying where I am and doing nothing. I really think if Amadon Bank existed as an inn, as it did in the old days, I should feel sufficiently energetic to scull down there to luncheon. Do you remember old Mr. Franklin, the landlord, a fine, staunch, straightforward Tory of the old school? Do you recollect how he used to wait on you himself, and with what pride did he pour out that fine old ale of his? and that ale was something to be proud of. Landlords like Mr. Franklin, and ale such as he gave you, are getting rarer and rarer every day. There was no pretension about the place, but everything was the very best of its kind. I remember the last time I lunched there. We had eels admirably cooked, chops capitally done, a superb cheddar cheese, and an excellent salad. In addition to this, we enjoyed the conversation of the landlord and listened to fine old Tory sentiments that were really quite refreshing in these modern degenerate days. Alas and alas, Amadon Bank has been converted into a private house, and staunch, honest, straightforward Mr. Franklin has passed away. Otherwise, I would drift down there this morning and have luncheon and improve my mind. I have a morning paper in my pocket but I do not think it is worth while to take it out. Were I in town, I should probably by this hour have mastered the contents of most of the dailies, and if I had not done so, should have considered myself altogether behind the time. Now I am so little interested in the news of the universe that I do not know that I should read the paper if it were spread open before me. I know I should not listen if any one read the paper aloud, and I am quite sure I shall not take the trouble to take the journal out of my pocket. How little one cares concerning the news of the day when once one gets away from London. If I were to stay long in a secluded country town, I should soon drop into a state of hopeless indifference as to the welfare of the world, and I should doubtless spare myself a great deal of trouble. The damsel in the pink dress is smiling a good deal over her novel. The strawberry girl's two sisters, wearing a somewhat disappointed look, trip across the lawn with a collie dog, go up on the bridge and lean over the balustrade. The strawberry girl is evidently missing and being sought after. I see them pointing in various directions and waving their hands. 
A light punt, skilfully managed by a brown-faced young fellow in white flannel, goes slowly by. A lazy lass on cushions, and under a scarlet sunshade, laughs musically in reply to some remark as the craft passes. The mahogany punt, the scarlet sunshade, and the sage-green cushions make a charming bit of colour as they pass into the cool grey shadow of the bridge. I hear that musical laugh again for a moment, intensified by the echo of the arch, and they pass out into the sunshine on the other side, and I lose sight of them. I really must not sit here all the morning. Shall I walk into Maidenhead? No, I fancy it would be very hot and dusty. I think I might pull up as far as Bolter's Lock, see how the roses are getting on, and have a chat and a lounge there. I know there is a toughish bit of stream all the way up, but then how nice would the rest be after the toil? I might, too, go beyond the lock, there is very little stream there, and do a little pleasant mooning neath the leafy shade of Cliveden Woods. I do not think there is a chance of any more rain today. At any rate, I will go as far as Bolter's Lock. The Rose Show ought to be worth seeing by this time. Yes, I certainly will be energetic and make a start. I go down to the landing stage and see about the shuttlecock being got ready. I find the strawberry girl's mamma there. I raise my hat and make some remark about the weather. I see the strawberry girl looking somewhat hot and tired in her stained frock being helped out of her canoe. She has a somewhat defiant look in her eyes. As she passes me, she bites her lip and shakes her head. I find a breeze is springing up. There is a fair wind upstream. Admirable notion. I will sail up to Bolter's Lock. I will spend some time there looking at the roses and watching the various people pass through, and then I will slowly drift back again with the stream. This will suit me much better than toiling up in the hot sunshine. The strawberry girl watches with great interest the stepping of the mast and the hoisting of the sail, and waits on the landing stage till I have fairly started. She is a very affectionate daughter in the general way, but I am quite certain at the present moment she would much rather be going for a sail with me as far as Bolter's Lock than listening to the admonition of her excellent mamma. End of A Lounge on the Lawn from Cucumber Chronicles by J. Ashby Sterry Read by Ted Hanlon